With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. Thank you for being here. Love these episodes. You all liked when we went through a circle of beat writers, many that had new quarterbacks, some also new head coaches, to ask the people closest to the team what changes both of those new positions bring to the team in 2021 that basically is unpredictable since we've never seen it before. That was Washington, that was the Rams, it was Philadelphia, and it was the Patriots. So today, three more, Nick Underhill on the New Orleans Saints, Vish Kumaran and the San Francisco 49ers, and Kevin Fishbane with the Chicago Bears. Again, the goal here is to like find a little edge, get a peek inside the unknown, take a step in that direction, to try to predict what everyone you're drafting against, betting against, cannot predict, whether it's player props, whether it is fantasy drafts. And in that previous show and in this one, you might find some notable late round targets. The best way to take advantage of that is on Underdog. Get a free $25 if you're a first depositor. Skip the guacamole, put it into Underdog, use promo code the show, and boom, $25 in your account. I know many of you have been like tentative to start checking out fantasy football this season. One, I want to tell you that fantasy football starts now and not the last week in August, but this is also the perfect way to prepare for that one home league that you do care about. Go through all the different scenarios from all the different draft slots, all the different roster constructions. Again, best ball is the way to do that. 25 free dollars, promo code, the show, and to all of you leaving ratings and reviews, highly, highly appreciate it. As you can tell, I pick out a couple every once in a while and send you free t-shirts from Underdog. So if you leave us five stars, leave a little comment with your Twitter handle included, maybe I'll pick you as well. All right, here we go. Love this show. Let's get ahead and we'll start right now. Thrilled to be joined by Nick Underhill, operator of NewOrleans.Football, has a podcast on NOFTV, among, I will say it, the best beat writers in the country, and some might even rank him at the top. Nick. Ah. Thrilled to have you here. Hope you're well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate that, man. A big, big respect for the things you guys do. Love what you're doing at Underdog, the, the company as a whole. So excited to be here. Well, hate to do this to you. Definitely going to ask you about Jameis Winston and uh, Taysom Hill. So let's start there. Uh, Drew Brees plus Sean Payton has been the identity of the Saints you know, for over a decade. So in this Jameis Winston versus Taysom Hill dynamic, Nick, what do we know right now? Well, I think that things are moving a little bit in the direction of Jameis Winston a little more so than Taysom Hill. It seems like he has a lot of momentum behind him. Publicly, players are, are, are sharing their support of him privately. The the support of him is maybe even a little bit more. You know, but it, it really comes down to Sean Payton and Sean Payton's, you know, he, he's a little more enamored with Taysom Hill probably than a lot of other people. And 
it will be interesting to see how it plays out this offseason because I think there's two things at play here. And one is, can Taysom Hill make faster decisions? Two, can Jameis Winston make better decisions? And it is interesting to me that I think a lot of us, myself included, think it'll be easier for Jameis to make better decisions. But why aren't we allowing Taysom the ability to, to change his thought process a little bit? And from his perspective, he believes that it's a mechanical issue with how he sets his feet. And he's working on that. He believes he has the antidote to, to the things that kind of slowed him down last year. But I do think if, if you take Jameis, you put him in this offense, and you get him with a coach that finds a way to rein him in a little bit without changing too much of his DNA, I think his upside is still there. The talent isn't really a question. It's just don't be a gunslinger. Don't make dumb decisions. Right. And, you know, I think some of the injuries and the suspensions on defense might undermine some of those efforts because if they aren't a top 10 defense, I think the job is a lot harder for Jamison. He might have to win some games, but if they can find a way to just be solid on defense for the first six games, get David Onyemata back, play good defense, make it easier on him, I, I do see a path where success is, is def- definitely possible. So a few things to, to pick at there. Uh, last time we saw Jameis Winston throwing over 30 touchdowns, also throwing 30 interceptions. He was a top five quarterback in fancy points per game. Then we basically barely see him for an entire year from what you've picked up from what you've heard what's the thought of Jameis Winston what's the perception of him right now behind closed doors and like did you hear anything across the last what 365 days well the the interesting thing it yeah I mean behind closed doors they like him as a, as a player and as a leader as far as the play he didn't do a whole lot in practice their third string quarterback doesn't get a lot of reps Taysom took the second team reps all season so it was a lot of classroom work going and watching practices when breeze was out he, he got some more work he got some reps and i think there was some positive perception there but you know it, as far as you know the growth that he's actually made on the field i think it, it, it's a lot of we'll see um you know this offseason he's been working with with all their wide receivers mike thomas is the only one that that hasn't made it to you know the Jameis traveling uh offseason throwing camps but all the guys coming out of those sessions are really impressed with him and look it's one thing to throw the ball route routes on air but you know, the arm strength and everything is something a lot of people are raving about. Traquan Smith is, is really excited about being able to do some more downfield stuff. And he was a really good intermediate receiver in college. I don't think the way this offense has been set up since he got here really played to his skill. So I think he he's a potential breakout player. And I think Mike Thomas can be a lot better, too. I think he can do more down the field. 2016, his average depth of target on out routes and different things were, were a little bit further down the field. And I think the most telling thing for Mike is that last year when Breeze was in game, safeties lined up at 13 yards depth. In 2016, it was 16 yards. Three yards is a huge amount of area. When you're running a slant and you're trying to run after the catch, You know the safety getting a three-yard head start, it's going to make a difference. So I think all those things are going to make this offense a little bit better. And it might sound crazy, but if Jameis isn't making mistakes or if Taysom is making faster decisions, I think the quarterback play can be better this year than it was last year. Love that. Absolutely love that. Um, I want to dive into that a little bit more because in the past five years, you mentioned basically this, that Drew Brees has finished among the bottom five quarterbacks in air yards per attempt uh, four of those seasons. There's like been some suggestions that Jameis and even Taysom Hill plus Michael Thomas like don't fit or might not be as good as what he had with Drew Brees. Obviously, we're not talking about setting records here, but Nick, I think that's that's preposterous because I, I part of me believes like the slant boy moniker and missing basically a 
the majority of last season has like made us all forget just how good Michael Thomas is outside of just those, you know, short receptions. I mean, he's very good in the intermediate game. I think he's caught almost every single deep target he's ever been afforded at the NFL level. I mean, last year he was going for us in fantasy drafts in the first round. Now he's going all the way down as wide receiver nine overall. Again, I think that this is ridiculous and maybe the fit doesn't have to be perfect because Michael Thomas is a great talent and he can succeed with, I think, just about anyone out there. Yeah, I, I don't want to say this too hard because I'm picturing this clip coming back at me at the end of the season if things don't <laughs> go well. But I, I think that's kind of an uninformed take. Like, if you look at the Taysom Hill games last year, what did he throw for in the Denver game? 78 yards or something? So there were four games he was playing on a sprained ankle, an ankle that needed an operation after the season. And he still averaged, I think, 87 yards in those four games. So, I mean, the yards were there with Teddy Bridgewater. The yards were there. You look at 2016, I think the San Francisco game from his rookie year is a good example of some of the stuff he could do down the field. And they were finding out that year that Breeze couldn't really make those throws. And then the offense changed completely in 17 to where it became more condensed. And if you go through their route concepts, a lot of the stuff in 16 and before where there was like a vertical route going down the field by 17, 18, 19, 20, they call them giant routes. And basically, it's just a really deep crossing route. And they started getting closer and closer every year. So that element of the offense just wasn't there. But look, the slant boy thing is, is just dumb, too. It you, go is. To the rec- you go to the record-breaking season, remove every slant. He still leads the NFL in yards if you take out every slant. It's just, it's just not a good take. He can do a lot more. I think he was just serving this offense in the way that was best for Breeze. And look, he was the perfect receiver for him. But I think he's, I think he's not... He's not a scheme-dependent player. I think you put him anywhere, and he plays. And look, if it, if it's 100 slants a season, stop it. Like, I don't see how that that's that's a, a drawback to him. If right. LeBron James can dunk every single time he touches the ball, just go get the easy two points. A slant counts the same as an out route if they're both eight yards. So I, I just don't get why that's used against him. Um, and, you know, if his ankle is healthy, I think that's the question with him. We didn't see him in minicamp. He didn't do much in minicamp. I don't know the timing of the operation. It's been a little coy, but if he's mm-hmm. healthy, I think he's still, he's going to be right back where he was. And look, Mike Thomas mad with real things to be mad about. I think it <laughs> is, is very good for his prospects for the season. He's not digging for a Devonte Parker Instagram comment for, for motivation. Like there's actual stuff for him to be motivated about. Oh, you're, you're the man. Okay. Uh, we know how great the wide receiver position is. In the NFL, I mean, above him in drafts, it's A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson, D.K. Metcalf, Kevin Ridley. It's, it's tough to argue that, but Hayden and I did a wide receiver ranking show. Like, if there's a Tier 2 wide receiver being drafted in that area that we could see vault up to Tier 1, my nomination was Michael Thomas. Just quickly, it hasn't all been, like, rainbows and roses during his time in the last few years of the Saints either, right? Is everything kind of settled there? Is he kind of locked in and happy? I think he shows up, he starts playing, he gets passes thrown to him, his targets are, are good. I think everything will, will kind of work itself out. It has been a little bit rocky. Um, you know, I think the the fight with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in practice, you know, Mike came across the field, sucker punched him. I think as the season progressed and you saw other guys in actual games come across and, and sucker punched Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, it kind of maybe mm-hmm. added some perspective to to what happened there. And, you know, maybe there, there's a little bit of instigating. He's got to control himself. It's his teammate. Um but yeah, I think things maybe came to a head a little bit last year. But, you know, I think once he gets out there, he starts playing, he's healthy. I, I think it all takes care of itself. Yeah, I heard this story from Sean Payton once. I'm sure you've heard it, too, that he lined up against Michael Thomas during, like, his, his rookie season or his second year, and he broke his finger. Sean yeah. Payton did just trying to cover him. It's, yeah, I, I love Michael Thomas. Okay, we know he's going to lead the team in targets if healthy. Let's talk about that 
quote unquote wide receiver two spot. I mean, it's it's Traquan Smith, it's Marquez Callaway. There's a few other names we could throw out there. You mentioned Traquan a little bit earlier. Is that the odds on favorite to have that role at least on paper? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, he, he's kind of been the guy uh, in that spot, and there really isn't someone else that that's really ready to step up and take on that role. And I think he has the most upside of, of all the guys on the team. I think Callaway is kind of a deep sleeper. I, I think he can do a, a lot of things really well. And at Tennessee, he did a little bit more stuff downfield last year. It was basically, you know, all curls and very, very short routes. But I think he can do a little bit more. But, you know, just seeing Trey Quan, he's he's been with Jameis Winston every single day this summer working out. And if Jameis is the quarterback, I think just that'll help out a little bit. That chemistry is going to pay off to some degree. And I do think that Trey Quan is just the most talented guy out of the other the other players on this team. But it's definitely um, murky. You know, in years past, they've been able to scheme open wide receiver too, regardless of who it is. This is a team that got Willie Sneed close to a thousand yards every year. He was here, but you know, it it's weird because we're in this place where we're making these assumptions about the team. I don't know if they if they can still be made because you know the guy running the offense is gone, but. I do think that in this offense, wide receiver two will still get his yards, and I do think that guy will be Traquan. Yeah, Traquan Smith, I'm trying to find it right now, going as wide receiver 67, on underdog Marcus Callaway around wide receiver 101. Some might call that free in fantasy drafts. Uh, yeah, 174 targets on the table for the Saints heading into this year. 50% of their air yards are missing from last season. So we talked about those two wide receivers. You know, it can be a bit of a – fantasy pitfall to try to pick out like the next breakout tight end. That's a late rounder. Uh, I hate doing it. I'm going to do it now. Adam Troutman might potentially be that guy, but Nick, I think I want to figure out his, his role. And that's something that you can do because Jared cook last year played just about 14% of his snaps in line. That means he was in the slot out wide a lot, which we love for, for production. Meanwhile, Adam Troutman was in line about 51% of the time. Do you think they'll want to use him more as like a, a true wide receiver? Do they view him as a complete tight end? How close is his projection to what Jared Cook did last year or the year before? I think he'll play in line more than than Cook did. His blocking was really good last year. And it was surprising to me that his blocking was actually ahead of the receiving because he was a very athletic tight end. And the blocking was really raw at Dayton, but he came in and picked that up really quickly in you know, I, I think that that's going to help him get some more targets in, in this offense, actually, because I think they'll run more 12 personnel this year. I think they're just going to have to be- mm. do things a little bit differently than they have in the past. And I think running the ball and doing some more things out of those sets is going to help them. Um, you know, it, as far again, I'm going back to the thing I said before about the assumptions about players in this offense, but the tight end in this offense and the two minute offense, they eat every single year. Kobe Fleener. Like his 600 yards one year, like 400 and some of them were in the two-minute offense, and he did nothing in any other period of the game. So I think just being on the field in those situations, and I think that will be Troutman instead of Jared Cook or or whoever else, I think that's going to help him get receiving yards there. And, man, it's such a small sample because he didn't really do much in the passing game last year, but the stuff he did looked really good. He picked it up later on as the year went on. He looked extremely athletic with the ball in his hands. I think the sky's the limit for him. Just basically, you know, he's he's a two-way tight end. He can do everything. And, you know, I, I really do think he's going to be good. I don't know what that number is going to end up to be this year. I think on my site when I made my projections, I, I did an over-under at, at 700 yards. I took a slight under. But mm-hmm. I think he's going to be right around that number this year if he gets those opportunities. 
tied in 13 right now on underdog. I'll get you out of here on this question. Uh, Alvin Kamara going as the running back four, kind of right after at times that tier of Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. I've lately seen him, Nick, as like the 109, 110 at the end of round one. This is a super generic question. But with, again, these changes in the offense, I mean, it's going to be like unpreventable anyways, just because of the Drew Brees and Sean Payton dynamic. But ones that we've discussed, could it help? Could it hurt? Or will it maybe even stay somewhat close to what we've seen with Alvin Kamara in the last few years? Because his you know production has been so bankable in so many areas of the game. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if last year was his highest yardage total that he has throughout his career, just because of the way the offense was and Breeze's arm, basically just not really having much there. He just had to stay so close to the line of scrimmage, and it was one read, two reads, quick dump off. And I think that set up really well for him. I think if Jameis is a quarterback, he'll still get a good amount of, of receiving yards. If Taysom is a quarterback, I'd be a little bit worried about it just because mm-hmm. last year what we saw how quickly he went through, or sorry, how slowly he went through his reads by the time he was looking at Alvin, like it just wasn't there. There were a couple of plays where Alvin just batted the ball down because there was a linebacker closing in on him when the ball was coming in. So that would really have to change with Taysom. I, you know, I, I do think that the one thing that'll help him a little bit is that I think they'll probably get back to his 2017 role where he was doing more out of the slot and getting downfield and getting his receiving yards a different way. So I think those numbers will always be good. But if he peaked last year, as far as statistically, I wouldn't be overly shocked. And on paper, a top five offensive line absolutely helps him as well. You're the man. Again, everyone out there, go and follow Nick on Twitter, Nick Underhill, uh, New Orleans football, or excuse me, New Orleans dot football, and check out his show on NOF.TV. Good luck with the season, Nick. Thanks for talking with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now joining us, Vish Kumarin of the Blake and Vish Sports YouTube channel, a man who I have come to love his content centered around the San Francisco 49ers. Vish, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well, Josh. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, for a 21-year-old college student like me, being (laughs) able to come on this platform with somebody like you, somebody who I've seen for a few years and really respect is really an honor. So thank you so much for having me. I'm only 32. Actually, I just turned 33, Vish, so don't make me feel much older than that, okay? Please, please do not do that. Uh, So (laughs) much to talk about here with the 49ers. I'm sure you've discussed it a lot on your own show, but let's do that for our audience here. The latest on Jimmy G and Trey Lance. Obviously, so much has happened during the pre-draft process. You kind of got mixed messages from Kyle Shanahan himself after the trade and then before the Trey Lance selection. I'll ask the simple question. Your informed prediction on how this plays out is what? So I think a lot of people who are predicting on this are missing the mark. I think they're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think if you're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo in this situation, you're wrong. Because when you trade two first-round picks, swap a third one, and also a third-round pick to go get a quarterback, your franchise becomes geared towards that quarterback, not the quarterback that you already have. And Kyle Shanahan has flirted with every available quarterback. So to me, when people talk about this, like, oh, it's a Trey Lance versus Jimmy Garoppolo conversation, to me, that's just a cute camp storyline. I think it's a convenient PR perspective for the 49ers to sit here and say, well, if Trey Lance isn't ready, well, we told you Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be your starter and go with Jimmy Garoppolo like that. I think this thing, this entire competition, or if you want to call it a competition, is going to play out very simply. The moment Trey Lance is ready, He's going to start. I think the advantage the 49ers have compared to teams like, say, the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence or the Jets with Zach Wilson is that 
they don't have to force that readiness on him. He doesn't have to be ready week one because they do have a starter that they've won with in Jimmy Garoppolo. But if he's ready week one, I don't see why they would wait on starting him week one. Like with him, like it's it's complicated because a lot of people sit here and say, well, he didn't play last year and he has only the 17 starts in college and he has only the 288 throws in college. Well, how do you think he's going to gain all of that experience sitting? Totally. That, that's not the point. You you have to get him on the field. And so for me, like when people talk about, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo might beat out Trey Lance in camp. Well, if Jimmy Garoppolo, they felt comfortable with him starting this year, they're not trading that much up to go get a quarterback. So to me, this situation is really simple. If Trey Lance is ready week five, he's going to start week five. If he's ready week one, he's starting week one. If he's ready week seven, he's starting week seven. But this is not a oh, Jimmy Garoppolo is playing really well, so let's just wait on Trey Lance's situation. This is a franchise that's all about Trey Lance. Lots to unpack there. I think you covered it very well. To the point on experience and how you pick up skills, you know this from doing your YouTube show, from doing interviews like this one. The only way you get better is reps. Our job is much different than Trey Lance's who plays football and has you know 11 people trying to intercept or sack him on every single play. But it, it that's the only way you can get better is actually doing something. And just if you like write down every single element of this, it all points to Trey Lance. Hey, he didn't play any games except for one last season. You're going to sit him for two straight seasons. No, then the honesty and Kyle is possibly in those press conferences, the most honest head coach in the league. As soon as they made the move for that number three overall selection, I'm not going to say the disgust in his voice for Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it was the disgust in his voice for where the quarterback position got on the team over the last two years because the unavailability of Jimmy Garoppolo. So, again, we keep pointing to these things. And it's also the type of quarterback that Trey Lance is, not a running quarterback, but maybe a pocket passer plus, and the skills that he offers that again, the quarterback already in the roster did not. All those to me point to Trey Lance, like you're saying, when he is ready, being the starter. And that could easily, easily be week one. And the other thing is this readiness thing is such a vague term, right? Even Kyle Shanahan, when he was asked to describe it, he said, well, I'll know when he's ready. Everybody will know when he's ready, but it's a vague term. But I think when people talk about Trey Lance, they don't get to the nuances of Trey Lance, right? If Trey Lance was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, he might not be ready to play week one. But Trey Lance was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers. Trey Lance has experience getting the ball from under center. He has experience going from under center and operating an under center play action pass game, something that the 49ers do. He has experience huddling up and spitting out longer plays. So these are the things that, like, you say Trey Lance is unexperienced. Like, Pat Mahomes, when he had to sit, well, he came from the air raid offense, right? A different offense from the West Coast. The footwork lines up with the process and everything different. Like one of the things Kyle Shanahan has talked about is he needs to see quarterbacks go through going from under center play action and flipping their head around and being able to see the safety rotation and know where to go with the football. Well, that's what Trey Lance did in college, right? He's not the most refined drop back passer yet, though he shows glimpses of being able to be that guy one day. He's a good play action quarterback that also adds this element of being able to run. So to me, like you can say that Trey Lance is un- inexperienced and I buy that to a degree. But when you look at what they're going to ask him to do within this offense, he currently already, even based on his one season at 19 years old, has the skill set to be able to do it. I think there's like a difference 
an inexperience versus raw because raw means that you just have to like completely manufacture the player there and inexperience just means you again haven't had enough rep. I think we just determined which side of that Trey Lance is on. A couple quick questions here. The public is with you by the way. The public right now is selecting Trey Lance as the quarterback 14. In fact, that is ahead of Trevor Lawrence, which is kind of stunning when you consider where obviously one was the number one overall pick and locked into the starter spot. Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback 35 right now on underdog draft. Simple question. Is Jimmy Garoppolo even on this roster in week one? I personally believe it's a bad idea. One of the first things I tweeted actually after the 49ers drafted Trey Lance is one, I believe Trey Lance should start week one if he's ready. And obviously, again, I mentioned before, readiness is a very big term. But the other thing I tweeted is that everybody was going straight to the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation, right? The one time the bridge quarterback has worked out, not the million times when, you know, you start Joe Flacco for eight games and then you realize, sheesh, this guy named Lamar Jackson just carried us to the playoffs. He might've been better the entire season than Joe Flacco, but they point to that Alex Smith, um, Pat Mahomes situation. To me, the best comparison, honestly, and it's a good comparison for Trey Lance too, as a player, when you look at the skill set too, is Carson Wentz, Sam Bradford. You're talking about an injury-prone starter that throws the ball. It's pretty throw over the football. Bradford was. Garoppolo is. Um, a guy that, you know, not the greatest in terms of being able to process information, make great decisions and all of that, but a guy that you look at and say he's like the 24th best starter in the NFL, 23rd best starter in the NFL, a guy that we can start for 16 games and have a winning record if things are right. That's the situation I look at with Garoppolo. Obviously, Bradford, they paid a king's ransom in Minnesota because of the Teddy B injury. I don't expect that to happen. But I do expect, if you remember, like, Carson Wentz. So one of the things, and I do this just listening, one of the things that people really talked about with Trey Lance through this draft process is how special he was in terms of his intangibles. I mean, every single person that talked about Trey Lance was saying that teams are raving about him mentally and him as a human being. The same things were being said about Carson Wentz, if you remember before that 2016 draft. I remember there was a story when people were really, this is when people were really on the Carson Wentz wave over the summer that he was reading, like he was watching film on his iPad during dinner with his fiance. Like that's how committed he was and all of that. But Carson Wentz was like regarded the same way and he didn't have the strongest preseason, but it looked like he killed it in training camp and they went with him week one. He played really well weeks one through three. And then he kind of regressed back to the mean of what a rookie quarterback is like, usually in a less than par situation. And I I think Trey Lance, it's going to be a similar type thing. And you want to talk about pass attempts and experience like Carson Wentz was injured in college. So I think he only had, he only had, I think 24, 25 starts in college and Carson Wentz pass attempts was around six Oh five. In college, which if Trey Lance completed his second year, he would also be around the same 600 pass attempts in college, both less than ideal when you're looking for a quarterback and you're just measuring total pass attempts. I think the average Hall of Famers pass attempts since 1980 is like 975 in college, but still serviceable, still works. And I think the best case scenario for the 49ers is to ship out Garoppolo and have that cap flexibility before the deadline and be all in on the Trey Lance train. So you mentioned the supporting cast and obviously the offense that Trey Lance is in and how that might be different than other rosters uh, that other top quarterbacks are able to fall into. It's a good one. Let's put it that way. And it's a good one because the two tackles that they have and, you know, Trent Williams and and Mike McGlinchey, it's also great because you have George Kittle, who we'll get to in a moment, and two stud 
wide receivers in Brandon Ayuk and in Debo Samuel. Uh, this might surprise you, but Brandon Ayuk is being drafted eight spots ahead of Debo Samuel right now. It's wide receiver 27 versus wide receiver 35. You know, this is going to be a different offense. And I would like to get your opinion why with Trey Lance at quarterback, because he just, again, offers somewhat different skills, just more on top of what Jimmy offers. Um, I guess my question is this, like, will that enhanced offense be beneficial for Debo, for Brandon Ayuk, because both are being drafted as top 36 options right now. And there's a little bit of concern in the back of my brain. There might just be not be enough like pass volume to sustain all of that. I I actually do believe it. And because look, I, I think a lot of people are imagining like that this offense somehow next year is going to be like 2016 Matt Ryan in the past game with 2012 RG3 in the run game. I actually think it's going to be very similar to the offense we've seen the last two years. I think we're going to see 20 to 25 throws from the quarterback. I think we're going to see a lot of throws behind the line of scrimmage, near the line of scrimmage, which Trey Lance is very good at. I think one thing you're going to see added, though, is throws more outside the numbers. Like You talk about Brandon Ayuk, right? Brandon Ayuk, and this is from Reception Perception, Matt Harmon. Wow, Matt Harmon, shout out. He's job. on the show yeah. next week, by the um, way. Oh, awesome. Well, he Brandon Ayuk won on 75. He had a 75% route success on out routes. Well, the 49ers didn't really throw the ball to Brandon Ayuk outside the numbers. Why? Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't deliver the out route with enough pace and timing. What does Trey Lance, one of his best throws, in my opinion, when I went through every single one of his throws in college, he throws the out route with inc- incredible pace, touch, timing, everything. It's all lined up. It looks really good. It's one of his most natural throws, in my opinion, in terms of landing the ball in accurate in accurate positions every single time. So I think that's going to help. We're going to see then the aspect of the Julio Jones offense, right? Where you have a blaze out, you have an alert route, you have a route to the flat, a high-low read. Debo is very good at running digs. Matt Harmon has him at 81.8% in 19 for digs in terms of route success and 79.4% last year. So he's very good at running digs. He can be the alert route. So I think naturally you're going to see just Brandon Ayuk, right? Cause we saw him put up volume stats with Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard and Jimmy right. Garoppolo, whoever the quarterback was, he was winning. Well, now you're going to see his wins getting taken advantage of more. He's not necessarily going to be a 12 target a game guy. He's not going to turn into, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, where you're going to him every time. But the eight times you do go to him, now you're going to, I think, increase his efficiency because he is a guy that's winning and the run game aids him in winning and Kyle Shanahan puts him in spots to win. But now the quarterback is going to be able to hit some more throws to him. So what you're saying is the efficiency is going to go up. The volume might exactly remain the same. Do you, do you think that's fair with Ayuk being drafted about a half around, or I should say eight spots at the wide receiver position over Debo? Cause I think both are like extremely talented players. Um, you think there's like an outside shot that Debo maybe is more productive. I think there's a great shot that Debo is more productive. So I'm on the wave that I think Debo Samuel is the most important player for this offense. I think the things that he does in the run game, I think like the only other player to me that strikes this much fear in a defense when he goes into motion is Tyreek Hill. Like Debo Samuel, when he goes into motion, it changes everything. It changes defensive leverage. It changes what you're looking at. You, you It changes where eyes go. And Kyle Shanahan's the master at manipulating defensive eyes. So I, I think there's a good chance that, you know, it might not be in terms of raw receiver production, right? Yeah. Because there's no telling how much of Debo's push passes might turn into a jet sweep. 
or, you know, like it's really just a change of how you're delivering him the football and those type plays. A lot of the blocking stays similar and all of that. But I think Debo in terms of raw production might be the more successful player, especially when you look at, and we're going to get into this, I feel like a bit more in terms of how the offense is going to change generally. I think if you watch the 49ers offense and look at the shotgun run game that they've developed, the shotgun pass game they've developed out of 21 personnel with Kyle Juszczyk, that's where, and Debo Samuel coming in orbit motion, jet motion, all the different things they do. That's where you can see there's already been a built-in element for the quarterback run game here. They just didn't have a quarterback that could run the football. There you go. Now they have a quarterback that can run the football. So I think you're going to see them run the – I think the 49ers are going to run the – are going to be in the conversation with the Ravens. Obviously, a different type of run game. You know, they're a three tight end, heavy trap, heavy power. The Niners are outside zone, inside zone, mixed in with a bunch of – a little bit of gap, trap, counter, all of it. They have a little bit of everything. Um when you when you look at what the Niners are going to do to me, it's that run game is going to be really special. And that run game to me is all built around, obviously, Kittle's blocking, Trent Williams blocking, Juszczyk's blocking is all an aspect. But to me, Debo is kind of the most special runner on the 49ers. And that's where I think Debo could be the more successful fantasy football player than Brandon Ayuk. Um, yeah, I mean, while he's not a star player, every single team seems to be searching for Debo Samuel. Right about now. Right. And it's so difficult to find them. Um, I want to talk about that running game because, you know, the Shanahan history has gone deep in terms of creating productive backs with very little investment into that position. I could be like, you know, confusing the the overlapping years here, but like Orlandis Gary and Ruben Drones and like a whole bunch of other names in the past for Mike Shanahan. We've seen it with Kyle with Alfred Morris. We've seen it with Kyle with a whole Matt Breida. We have Raheem Mostert. I mean, Mostert is, I think, the most explosive runner in the NFL. He's going as running back 29 on underdog. Meanwhile, Trey Sermon, the rookie that they trade multiple picks up and spent at least a third round draft capital on more than that, uh, as running back 27. So, it's very difficult to leave a fantasy draft with both. It is not advisable. I would not do that. But we also think, well, last year, the 49ers, I think, averaged around 27 rushes per game. Uh, it was difficult because they weren't as good as they want to be. And obviously, we All know right. with winning the football, you will run the football more as well. Um, if you had to pick one, maybe I'll ask it this way. Just how do you think this backfield is going to unfold? Because I also think if Raheem Mostert stays healthy in any year, he can – Absolutely eat. But obviously a Trey Sermon in there who I'm a big fan of just as standalone talent as well. So to me, Trey Sermon, if you're talking in fantasy terms, and I actually stopped playing fantasy, but one of the last years I played fantasy was Sony Michelle's rookie year. And I yeah. stashed Sony Michelle in the draft of every fantasy draft I played. I kept him on the bench. And by like week six, Sony Michelle is now a top 15 running back in terms of fantasy. I think that might be the play with Trey Sermon. I think as the season goes on, you're going to see more and more of Trey Sermon because he is the kind of runner that, you know, needs he's not like this guy that's going to run the football five to ten times. One of the most special things about him at Ohio State is he's the kind of runner that you run. You feed him 30 times a game and he wears a defense. And so I think that's where Trey Sermon's going to get. But the problem is, and I'm with you, Raheem Mostert is way too explosive. He scores too many touchdowns. He's Arguably, I mean, now that you have Trey Lance, Ayuk, Debo, everything, but Mostert's still the most explosive element to this offense by far. He's the one guy that could go 90 yards anytime, any place. And 
what separates him to me from Brita, honestly, if you look at their production, a lot of it's very similar to me. Mostert's just his hair faster. He's got a little better vision. And I think what separates him is he's got a better nose for the end zone. I've seen Mostert. I mean, I think Mostert's acceleration, especially from about 8 to 10 yards, 8 to 15 yards, is the best in the NFL by far. When he gets past the line of scrimmage and he's going a little bit, he sees a little crease, he's gone. And so I think that to say, you know, like from a fantasy aspect, like, oh, Trey Sermon's going to be better. Well, then you're betting on Mostert's health not to pan out, which is a real possibility. But I have a feeling because you look down the list, right? They still have Wayne Gallman. I know a lot of people are very high on Elijah Mitchell, like, and what his film was. I personally have He's been on my to-do list since the draft. I have not watched it yet, so I, I'm not 100% sure. I like Jamichael Hasty a lot. He looked a little bit like DeMont, Dev- a mini Devontae Freeman to me when he played a little bit for them last year. So if you ask me from a fantasy aspect, I, I still wouldn't say don't give up on Raheem Mostert yeah. because Raheem Mostert might get only 140 carries next year, but he might score 10 touchdowns. So I, I guess what I'm reading between the lines here is that unless an injury happens, it's unlikely for one of these two backs just to run away with the job. Yeah, uh, I 100% feel that. I think there could be a point as the season goes on that Raheem Mostert's body is wearing. And, you know, he's not exactly injured, but they rest him for a stretch of two, three games. And at that point, Trey Sermon gets hot, you know. But uh, I wouldn't say that at the beginning of the season, you know, you're just going to start Trey Sermon as your running back three and go for it because the production might be a little inconsistent. And one of the things people really miss is that, yeah, the 49ers drafted two running backs. Raheem Mostert played very good football when he played last year. He was really good. He just kept getting hurt, and that's unfortunate. And so do you think his body can last? Maybe not, but he was one of their – 15 best football players on their team when he was healthy. He made such an impact. I mean, you go back and watch the Dolphins game, which they got absolutely demolished. The best player in that game was Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert had, I think, 11 carries for 95 yards. He would have gone for 250 if Jimmy Garoppolo didn't throw the picks and the game didn't, and Brian Allen wasn't getting busted up by uh, Preston Williams and Devontae Parker. The game would have been totally different. Like Raheem Mostert was seven yards of carry. He was dominating that football game. So I think to give up on him just because they drafted these guys is a little bit, uh, I think, premature, especially given that he's at the end of his contract. So this is his last year and he's 30 years old. So this could also be a play where Trey Sermon's the guy moving forward and it might right. still be, let's get everything out of Raheem Mostert this year. Speaking of the running game, we have to talk about the quarterback. How critical of a piece is Trey Lance's power running ability going to be near the goal line, do you think? Because we talked about both backs. We talked about Debo Samuel, but Trey Lance might be that little X factor in that area. Yeah, I think it's going to be the most important thing. I I think Sean Payton kind of discovered this secret with Taysom Hill that playing 11 on 11 on football is the best way to run the football in the red zone because obviously gaps become tighter. There's more big people around. It's very difficult, especially Niners have had lighter offensive lines in the past. It's very difficult to run a stretch zone run game in the red zone. You have to get back in between the tackles and run a more power run game. So The Niners, and this is interesting to me, Kyle Shanahan's offenses in his 13 years of calling offenses, he is ranked 19th in the NFL in terms of red zone efficiency, which is kind of a bizarre stat because we view Kyle Shanahan as a top two-mind 
offensive mind in the NFL and everything you really look at with him really does hold bear up to holding that fact. But the one outlier to me are the two outliers years in terms of red zone efficiency with Kyle Shanahan, where it's not below average. I think you can guess one it's the year they had one of the greatest offenses ever with Matt Ryan in Atlanta, but the other one was with RG three and RG three in the quarterback run game with Alfred Morris. Well, Trey Lance to me is a better runner in the red zone than RG3. He's just a more powerful runner. I think he runs behind his pads better. And I actually think he's more agile than RG3, if that makes sense. RG3 was a little straight line-ish. He wasn't the biggest in terms of being able to make you miss in really tight spaces. I think Trey Lance is a little better than that than him. Honestly, that's my personal take. And I think when you add the quarterback element to the run game, I think it's going to make the Niners offense that much more efficient. And really, I think that when you throw in Debo to that run game, it just becomes something that's like very impossible to defend because on any given play, all five of the 49ers eligibles are capable of carrying the football, whether it's Kittle, whether it's Moster, whether it's Juszczyk, Ayuk, Debo, and then the quarterback can run six different ball carriers on a play. Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan are going to be cooking people this year. Uh, speaking of the red zone, this is going to be my last question. Uh, what's the deal with George Kittle and not being able to score touchdowns like at a high rate? Because we all view him as one of the best, if not the most complete tight end in the in the league. But his career high for a single season in terms of touchdowns is, is five. And I think he's gotten that twice. Uh, is it just yeah. like... The variance of the situation, does it go back to what you're just saying, where Kyle hasn't been great in terms of his red zone success, touchdown rate during his time with the 49ers? Is it something else that you've seen? So I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, you can go back and look at Kyle's number one targets as an offensive coordinator and see the guys that are the level of Kittle. Like Andre Johnson, his best year, he had nine touchdowns. Julio Jones, his best year, he had eight touchdowns. But these were also two guys that were looked at like as big yardage, big catch guys, but not the big touchdown guys, right? They Both of them have had that kind of like that perception throughout their careers. Then you go through some of the tight ends because he's had some good tight ends Mm -hmm. in his time in the NFL. He had Fred Davis for a little bit in Washington, good player. Well, Fred Davis's most touchdowns with Kyle Shanahan was three. Chris Cooley, he had four. I mean, Pierre Garçon was a number one receiver. He had six touchdowns. He had five touchdowns, one here in 2013. You look at Owen Daniels, Owen Daniels, his highest was five touchdowns. So I, I think there is a little bit of that aspect. But then I actually did a little bit of a charting project on this a bit earlier. My man. Um, And I I looked at George Kittle. So he scored 14 touchdowns in the NFL. Only four of them have been where he's caught the ball in the end zone. To me, that's Hmm. significant. Of which three have been he caught the ball and the goal line was pushed out of the end zone, but he secured the catch within the pylon. So it was called the touchdown. That's significant to me. Then I went through all of his targets and I did this a little fast. So I might have maybe missed one or two here and there, but he's had only 10 targets within the red zone ends inside of the end zone in his career. Only 10 targets. That's including the four touchdowns he scored. That's Mm. wild to me because he should be in theory, their best red zone weapon. And I think maybe it's a little bit of George Kittle. Isn't the best in terms of being able to catch the football away from his body. He's not like a Travis Kelsey. He maybe doesn't create as much space in a tight space as a Travis Kelsey, he's more of a power route runner with incredible movement rather than a very shifty, agile route runner. But even those things to me, 
are smaller, you're picking at something that might be there just a little bit, but it shouldn't hinder his red zone production this much. So I do think it's an aspect of that. And then to be clear and full disclosure, he has had quite a few touchdowns called back. He had three, the 2019 week one game versus Tampa Bay. So that could be an element of this too. But I still think there is a little bit of they don't throw the ball to him inside of the end zone enough. The quarterback play might have to do with that. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have the strongest arm in terms of being able to drive the ball into the tighter windows within the end zone, which might be why they elect to try and throw the ball and run the ball into the end zone and get the yards after the catch to get to the end zone. Trey Lance's arm strength might help that. But I, I think there's a lot of the, lot that's going on. I can't really pencil into you like this is the specific reason, but I'm with you. It is something that does need to change for the 49ers. Now joined by Kevin Fishbane of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at KFishbane. Obviously does a great job covering the Chicago Bears. And what an offseason it has been. Andy Dalton versus Justin Fields. You know, the company line, Kevin, has been – the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes timeline. How much do you believe in that? Should we buy into that? I think we can buy into that they believe in it. But Josh, you've you've covered this league for a long time. You know how much coaches and GMs convince themselves of things, right? I mean, there's an ego in play here. That the, there is, just like the Bears convince themselves, and maybe rightly that Justin Fields is the guy, they are convincing themselves they can do what the Chiefs did in 2017. And I th- I think realistically, it's a pipe dream. It is. I mean, that was a really good Chiefs team. Alex Smith's a really good quarterback. Um, this is a Bears team that was 500 the past two years, and Andy Dalton was a backup in Dallas last year and didn't play well when he got in. So, you, you know, it, it's just... I, I, so I, that's kind of the way I say it. It's like, yes, they want that to happen. They want Andy Dalton to be really good or good enough right? Keep them afloat, keep them contending into November, December. They can get Justin Fields going along at their pace and get him in. But Josh, when, you know, the players will be able to see right. Who's, who's better, you know, and especially, you know, when you have guys that are so much different in terms of like their physical gifts, you know, when you think of Justin, the way it feels, the way just he, he launches these beautiful deep balls and you can run and he's, you know, he's a rookie, like all these things. And like, look, Donald, I think, has had a really nice career. Like, good for him for what he's accomplished. Like, I, I don't want to take anything away from him. But if this team is four and six or even like two and four, like, and, and, and guys can see that feels, looks ready, seems ready, it's going to be really, really hard to keep on the bench. If this is a first year head coach, first year right. GM, different story. There, but there are so many layers to this. Like, you know this so much about the league's decision making is also about how long can I keep this job because I may never get it again. There's also, you know, that dynamic that we heard about with the Philadelphia Eagles last year, where I'm not gonna say Carson Wentz lost the locker room, but Jalen Hurts kind of won the locker room and became so much closer to a lot of the core players on that team. I I am gonna ask you this question though. Like, is it impossible? We do have three preseason games this year, which is very different than what we had last year. Is it impossible for Justin Fields just to look so much better in those preseason games and in training camp to the point that he has this job in week one? 
Oh, I, it's not impossible. I mean, like, look, if you're Matt Nagy, you can't like rule that out. You can't sit here and say that, that can't happen. I don't think it's a smart thing to do for you know any coach. Like, you have to leave open that possibility and allow for Justin Fields to do that. And the flip side, you'd allow for Franny Dalton to do the opposite, right? You're allowing for Dalton to to struggle. Um, it's just it, it's it's difficult when they're so entrenched in this because. Like they're really going to need to be blown away, and they're really going to need to see Andy Dalton struggle with the first team. You know, mm-hmm. I I do wonder, and, and you know, maybe we'll find out more in the coming weeks. Like when the preseason game starts, does Justin Fields get a quarter against the first team defense? Things like that. Remember they did that with Mitch Trubisky four years ago, where like the the, the third preseason game they gave him a quarter with right. or, or a series with the one, so you can kind of that was the big series. So are they going to do that with Justin Fields? Or are they going to keep him against backups so that they can always say, well, we don't really know yet because it was against backups. So we have that to kind of keep uh, allow us to, to take our time. So I, I think I think week one, frankly, Josh, I think week one's about just as unlikely as him sitting out all year. Mm-hmm. I think they're both like kind of equally unlikely scenarios that that he, you know, in terms of like kind of the extremes on either end. Obviously, when you change and completely overhaul your quarterback position, well, I guess not overhaul it. Nick Foles is still on the roster. Uh, but do you want to be different offensively, right? And so I know we haven't, you know, seen training camp practices, preseason games, but just from what Matt Nagy has said, just from you talking with people, just from you observing the team, what do the Bears, how do they want to be different this year in comparison to the last few years offensively? You know, Matt Nagy talks a lot about this. He would call it the touchdown to check down mentality. Um, and now it's like the touchdown to touchdown mentality. Like he's an aggressive guy. He wants to push the ball downfield. He wants to go quick. He wants to score a lot of points. He's had one of the worst offenses in football the past two years. And even 2018, a lot of his gimmicks took defenses by surprise. And, you know, look, that was Mr. Trubisky's best season. So Trubisky does deserve some credit. Um, but the last two years was, you know, you had a quarterback that didn't couldn't do what Matt Nagy wanted him to do. And you had a head coach that wasn't that it took him a long time to really say, OK, fine, you can't do X, Y, Z. I'll let you do ABC. And we saw that in the in the win streak the Bears had late last season. So I, I see this as a team that he's going to he wants to push the ball downfield. And that's like a thing we've talked, we've heard a lot about Justin Fields. You look at the receivers they've added, Marquise Goodwin, Demir Bird. They love Darnell Mooney. We know he can fly. Um, you know, getting those guys opportunities down the field, turning Cole Komet into as close to a Travis Kelsey as you can. Um, and then, you know, I, I think the thing I'm most curious to see, Josh, is what does Matt Nagy do with the run game? Because that was the thing. That was the, like, Matt Nagy doesn't want to run the ball. And then he ran the ball a lot. And then you realize, well, maybe he doesn't like running the ball because they're not good at it. And then they got good at it. They got the offensive line figured out. Dave Montgomery was fantastic in that stretch last year. They bring in Damian Williams. So, you know, that's the thing that kind of makes me most curious because maybe he's like, you know, Andy Dalton can do a a little bit of what I want to do. Joseph Fields can do a lot of what I want to do. I don't have to run the ball anymore. Like, right. They're all yelling at me to run the ball because it's Chicago and like we run the ball here. Um, you know, <laughs> and and look, like I'm obviously not a you know run to win kind of kind of guy, but if you can't throw to win, you gotta yeah. move the ball somehow. And that's what they figured out late last season. So, you know, my my long answer is I, I think that in an ideal world, this 
looks closer to what Matt Nagy envisioned, which is that Chiefs offense. Like, how can we get to that West Coast style that allows us to push the ball downfield? And the other thing, too, Josh, I just want to throw in there is how often did you see a Bears wide receiver catch a ball in stride and go? Dude, like, we're going to talk about Darno Moon in a second. I went back and watched all of his targets last year. It was brutal how many yards were left on the field that he was open, you know, against the Bucks secondary, open against the Rams secondary, great defenses. And Nick Foles or someone just flat out missed him. And it wasn't even in stride. It wasn't, didn't even make it stop. Just flat out missed him. In, in Trubisky in, in, in 19, that was like, I, I was able to write an entire story of the deep balls that he missed. Um, guys, Taylor Gabriel wide open downfield. So, and we saw with Mooney last year. We saw you know the the famous Javon Wims drop. So sometimes on the receivers in the playoff game, but like even so, you have that end of the spectrum, and you have that eight yard slant that Tyreek Hill can turn into forty. And the Bears, you know, is it because they don't have the receivers? I think you could argue that Darnell Mooney's that can do that. I think Anthony Miller can do that. Um, but is it just this offense just? wasn't allowing for that so i do want to see if that if this offense this year can finally unlock some of that yak that these guys are leaving on the field so many pieces i want to hit on i do have one final question on quarterbacks because especially for us and justin fields on underdog is being drafted like he's going to be a major factor during his rookie season as quarterback 16 a a major element of rookie production and even quarterback production has now become rushing Production And we've seen it, you know, in Cam Newton's rookie season, Lamar Jackson's rookie season, heck, even Jalen Hurts put up a lot of points for us because of his rushing upside. How much of a factor is that going to be once Justin Fields takes the field? Because, you know, just looking back at Matt Nagy offenses and observing them, maybe when it was at his best and it's when Mitch Trubisky was like using that mobility that he had. But I would put Justin Fields at a totally different tier of mobility than maybe what Trubisky offers. You always wonder in these situations, how nervous is everyone in the building going to be if the quarterback takes off? I counter that with, well, if you sit him in the pocket like a duck and then he gets racked by an offense, you know, the pass rusher, he could get hurt that way too. You know, so uh, you're, you're right though. In, in 2018, when you missed Trubisky, he put up like 500 rushing yards. I mean, he was outstanding running the football. And, and, and then in 2019, suddenly, they said to him, hey, we want you to just sit in the pocket and read the defense. It's like, hey, we want you to do something that you're not known for. Just do this. you know. And, and so I think with Justin Fields, they saw what he could do outside the pocket, how he could throw the ball, how he can move. So you would like to think that they're going to take advantage of that weapon. I just sit here thinking, like, this guy's the franchise, right? Like, are there going to be people in Matt Nagy's head, whether it's his own voices or whether it's real voices, they're saying, let's be careful here. We we want him to be we want him to be safe. We don't want him to get hurt. But yeah, I I think you're onto something there. Where getting him on the move, you know, you think this coaching staff in their self scouting says, hey, our offense kind of got going when the quarterback was moving around. You look at what the way Mitch Trubisky moved the pocket last year during that win streak. That was the best he looked, and we know that Justin Fields can do that at a very high level. I want to ask about those two second year pass catchers um, because we know Allen Robinson's a star. And it's going to rack up production with basically anyone. Um, but Cole Komet on underdog is being drafted as tight end 23. Darnell Mooney all the way down as wide receiver 51. Part of me wonders, speculates that like the reason why this team 
want to take such a massive shot, maybe two of them at the quarterback position is because it's like what we talked about. They saw how open Darno Moody was last year. They're like, we need to get someone to be able to get the ball to both A-Rob and Mooney. And it also seems like there is not a path to stardom necessarily, but like a very, very strong belief in what Cole Komet can be as like an every down player for this team as well. Yeah, I'll start with Komet. You you hit it on the head there. I think he's going to be the every down guy. That like the ceiling for him is is high, you know. That like he can. You look back at his combine stats because sometimes you think like you know maybe he just didn't look as quick last year. Just and I think that part of that's the herky jerky offense. Part of that's just he didn't get a whole lot of looks or opportunities. Um, but you go back and look at his numbers, like wow, the the guy can really move well for his size. The weird thing with him from fantasy is, are the Bears tight ends going to become the Patriots running backs? Like. Like, is this going to be a situation where they're going to get down inside the 10 yard line and suddenly Jimmy Graham is going to be? I'm trying to remember some of those Patriots goal line vultures of, oh, of you had Jimmy Garrett Blunt, you had Sony Brandon Bolden. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Is Jimmy, you know, because they kept Graham. They really like Graham. He had a bunch of touchdowns last year. Like, they believe he can still bring that to them. And he's got that veteran savvy to the sense that he can, you know, maybe that that's where he might be better than Komet in terms of, you know, you know, adjusting his body and, and getting some of these jump balls. So like, what if Komet Josh puts up like, you know, 800 yards receiving, but only four touchdowns, right? Like, and I think the bears would take the, the production certainly. Yeah. But I worry from a fantasy standpoint, I just don't, well, for one thing, you don't know how much this offense is going to be in the red zone yet. But I also just wonder about the Jimmy Grant element. But I will say that, but if you go in a vacuum in terms of this team, what they think of Komet, what they think he can do, it's a high ceiling. Like They really believe in him. They really like him. Like They used that early second round pick on him. So I do think they want him to be heavily involved. I'm just not sure yet what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, they were 24th in red zone touchdown success rate in 2019, 22nd in that in 2020. Just my eyes have told me that that's an area where like drives constantly stall for Matt Nagy. And I'm sure that's an area that they want to change. Hayden Winks, my co-host uh, and basically the only writer on Underblog right now, has has written posts on like tight end production comes from them playing in the slot and, you know, not in line necessarily. Cole Komet last year, 32% of his slots. His snaps from the slot last year, 49% in line. And so if he's an every down guy and you throw in Jimmy Graham, it certainly seems like he's going to be the more quote unquote traditional player among that tight end group. Yeah. And I, and I think that that slot percentage is going to go up too, as he starts playing on these first and second downs and starts becoming more and more part of the passing game. And, you know, to, to Darnell Mooney's point, I mean, the, the this is a bit of a running joke in Chicago that, when the Bears had their end of season press conference that got ridiculed nationally and locally, and the the chairman George McCaskey was asked what gives you hope, he said Darnell Mooney, you know, and, my guy. and, was, my and guy. I'm sitting here being like, oh poor Darnell Mooney, it's your you're you're a rookie, you're a fifth round pick, and here is the chairman of the charter franchise of the NFL using you as the example of why nobody's getting fired, pretty much, <laughs> and but. I, I I use that in jest, but also to point out how much this franchise loves the guy. And it took one, you know, they had the limited training camp, obviously, in preseason last year, one game, and then suddenly he was an every snap guy. That was all they needed to see. Um, he's a good run blocker, which helps in terms of snap counts, getting him out there. 
um, on the field. You know, you mentioned all the opportunities that were missed because of poor quarterback play. Um, you know, they got him the ball in the perimeter a lot, and he was able to gain yards, which like Taylor Gabriel did not do that at a consistent enough basis. I think Darnell Mooney's better. He's a little bigger, even though coming out of Tulane, obviously that was his knock that he was, you know, maybe too skinny. Um, but look, Allen Robinson's going to be a free agent again. Like, th- like there is a scenario that exists where Darnell Mooney is a number one receiver for this team in 2022. And, you know, not to say it's going to dictate his reps, but I think that there has to be some kind of thought in that building. Like, let's keep building this guy up and like take advantage of his talents. Like they really like him. He's he just, he is kind of there. I don't want to say like the offensive version of Eddie Jackson in terms of finding that day three draft pick that turns out to be really good. Cause Eddie Jackson, you're talking about, I'm talking about an all pro right now, but I, I just, right. I just think that I, I think that there's a lot of potential for Darnell Mooney. And in the other thing too, Josh is who's your number three wide receiver. Yeah. Like you don't like, they don't, you know, like we don't know what Anthony Miller's future is. Um, you know, Javon Wims. I, yeah. You're not getting much from Wims. You, you, you know, you know, this Riley Ridley's last chance, you know, Marquis Goodwin is a, had a nice mini camp. Like he, he played well in the spring, but like what you, you kind of know what you have in him, Demir bird, like they're kind of, they're to me, they're like 400 yard guys. Right. Yeah. So, but that to me, it's like, you need to rely on Mooney more because you're not going to have that number three wide receiver that you can really depend on. Um, and, you know, that that's going to help Damien Williams's targets. It's going to help Tariq Cohen's targets, Dave Montgomery, all those things too. But I think it also says, Hey, some of those targets that went to Allen Robinson can start going to Darnell Mooney. Love that. Hayden and I talked about Darnell Mooney on like second year breakouts that could potentially happen. I have him eight spot ahead of ADP as wide receiver uh, 43. He's also like that manufactured target guy as well. Like get him on those motions, show those short patterns and allow him to try to win after the catch. Okay. We've talked about the entire passing game and even the running game. Let's talk about the running back because last year, David Montgomery was forced into a huge workload last season, averaged 16 and a half carries per contest, nearly four receptions per game, over 20 touches per contest. So we know part of that was because Tariq Cohen missed the entire season. Is it potential for David Montgomery to see the, that type of workload again, or is that why they maybe hedged a little bit and brought in someone like Damian Williams? Yeah, you know, when they drafted Dave Montgomery, is be partly because he could catch passes and they didn't throw him the ball, which was just like you just didn't understand what was going on there. Then they still didn't throw him the ball until Tariq Cohen got hurt, as you said. Uh, and then you saw what he's capable of, which is what everybody from Iowa State said he could do. Uh, you know, you'd like to see that he can really be your three down back. I see Damian Williams as somebody that's like, listen, we're not going to run Dave Montgomery into the ground. Like, we're just not going to do it. Um, you know, you don't know when Tariq Cohen is going to be Tariq Cohen again. I mean, you obviously hope he will be, but you just don't know what like what his status is going to be. So you have a much better insurance option than the guys that they had on the roster. Somebody could be your third down back. Um, it, but but like with Montgomery, still, there's a huge gap between Montgomery and Damian Williams in terms of running the football, too. Like, I think you'd much rather have Dave Montgomery in there getting, getting 15, 20 carries a game. You're like, Nag, Nagy's never going to be a 20 plus carry guy. That was just, a, you know, the, the, the win streak last year, the San Diego game or Ch- LA Chargers game the year before. It's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, I, you would like to think, Josh, that the coaches looked at last year's tape, saw what Montgomery meant to the passing game, and said, hey, guys, maybe we do this even when Tariq Cohen comes back. And the other thing, too, about Cohen, he's so versatile. 
I mean, he spent a lot of time on the slot and split wide um, when in 2019, like you have that opportunity to have, you know, you look to your right, you've got Robinson, you've got Mooney, you've got Cohen, you've got Komet as your tight end. You know, you've got, you know, Marquise Goodwin or somebody, and then you've got Montgomery in the backfield. Like you have that option to keep both Montgomery and Cohen on the field a lot, use Cohen out of the slot, and then you can get that mismatch with Montgomery and whatever linebackers in front of him. Now, again, you don't want to necessarily use conventional wisdom when it comes to the Chicago Bears and <laughs> offense. This will be my ninth year covering this franchise, and I'm like sorry. you just can't you can't do that. Um, but conventional wisdom would tell you that they saw some nice things from Montgomery in the passing game. And, you know, it might not be the type of usage as usage rate that we saw last November, December because of Damian Williams. But, you know, I still think he's such an important part of this offense. Kevin Fishbane, they really appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you for having me.